Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, uh, we are thankful for these words. These words which many of us have heard for years and years. These words that uh, seem familiar. And God, we're asking this morning that you would give us ears to hear. That even though familiar, you would help us to, to hear it again. Maybe even for the first time. Would your spirit teach us this morning through your servant, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mark, for reading uh, scripture for us, and uh, thank you, church family, for inviting me back. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be back with family, uh, but probably more importantly, it's good to be back with church family. Uh, it's good to be back with you guys here today. Even though I do have to say I leave for a year, and I come back, and it's a jungle in here. I mean, <laughs> come on, people. But it is good. It is good to be home, uh, home with you. Uh, but let us uh, worship together this morning uh, through uh, the preaching of God's word. A little context, um, I am an associate pastor over at Ottawa Center Chapel. It's in Coopersville, a little bit outside of Grand Rapids. Uh, and uh, I'm continuing my studies uh, at GRTS. And Allie is also a second grade teacher at Spring Lake. And uh, it's safe to say we, we enjoy it over there. Uh, if you do want to hear more about our ministry and, and what uh, the ministry over there is looking like, uh, I, I encourage you, Pastor Mark, Pastor Chris, and I recorded a podcast. It uh, should be out uh, tomorrow. Uh, so look for that. Um, it just goes in a little bit more detail, the transition and, and what our ministry is looking like. Uh, so if you're interested in that and want to hear a little bit more, um, yeah, please go have a listen to that. Uh, but enough about me. Uh, let's, let's go over Psalm 23. All right, the chief, or excuse me, wow, I'm getting ahead of myself. The great shepherd, that's next week, chief shepherd. Uh, the great shepherd. Uh, before we do that, before we continue on in this trilogy, before we dive into episode two, even though I'm hoping he would start at episode four and we go four, five, and six, but he didn't last week. Uh, Pastor Chris started at, at one. So we are looking at uh, episode two, uh, the great shepherd of Jesus Christ. But to do that, we do need to understand uh, what happened last week. And so if you weren't here, uh, or if you maybe forgot, uh, we will uh, recap for you just in case. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Chris spoke over Psalm chapter 22. Uh, we showed how Jesus was the true and better David. Just as David was abandoned, despised, and condemned, Jesus, again, the true and better David, he was abandoned, despised, and condemned, humbling himself unto death, death upon a cross. So we see Jesus as a, a good shepherd, uh, but it begs the question, why? Why would a person do this? Why, why, Jesus, why would you do this for us? We do not deserve the love that you've shown us, and we as humans, uh, we rebel against God. We rebelled against you. Why did you choose to love us? We choose to disobey, and God is forced to give consequence because of our disobedience, because he cannot tolerate sin. He gives the ultimate consequence and separation uh, from him for eternity. 
But then Jesus came, fully human, fully God, lived perfectly, and then he died. And that death was the payment for our sin, the payment that makes us separated from God no longer. We had no hope. We had no opportunity. This was the longest of long shots, that someone would come and die in our place. Yet Jesus did. No opportunity, no hope for us until Jesus. And this is our only opportunity. So, friend, if you are here this morning, see Jesus. See what he has done for you. Uh, Place your trust in Jesus' payment for your sins. There's nothing, nothing we can do without Christ. Nothing we can do without accepting what he did for us. Because of that, he is a good shepherd. So we caught up on last week. So uh, now you know. um, But now we need to look at at Psalm 23. And a little context before we dive in. Psalm 23 is again written by David, uh, king of Israel, former shepherd, singer, and soldier. Uh, One whose life had many experiences, uh, many different uh, actions and reactions in his life. But Psalm 23 is actually one of the, the few psalms that we actually don't know much about. Um, there's not a lot of context. If we look at other psalms, we see that they're oftentimes reactionary. David is writing uh, in response to something that's happened to his life. And we can often pinpoint uh, when that was. But we actually don't have that here. Uh, most uh, scholars think this happened later in David's life, just how he writes. Um, one is as calm and collected, looking back on his life. Uh, but the thing is, Psalm 23 is one of the most recognized, most well-known. And I'm sure if I asked you today to quote at least one line of it, I'm sure you could have. It's very popular, yet we don't know much about why it was written. And so it is popular, and so I ask that, uh, I ask that you do listen with fresh ears. Um, there's a lot of information uh, that you can probably quote on this as we go through. Uh, you've probably listened to 100 sermons. I know uh, even Pastor Wigan in the past three or four years preached six sermons over Psalm 23. So again, I ask you um, not to glaze over if you've heard this before, because God's word is good, and it is good the first time, and it's good the hundredth time. But before we move on, let us take some time to pray. Uh, Dear God, we just thank you for this opportunity to worship you in the studying of your word. God, you are, you are good to us. You have granted us the opportunity to study and to learn from you. You did not need to afford us this opportunity. You did not need to give this to us. That you are gracious and merciful and mighty. And God, help us as we study this word. Uh, help me as I speak. I pray that I can uh, speak your words, your truths, not my own. And I pray for the people here that they can listen. That they can be here and present to what you have for them. God, help us as we study your word. That's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at Psalm uh, 23 today, we're going to look at three uh, different stages of, um, of belief, really. The three stages uh, so that you may know that you will be received into heaven by God. Uh, the first step is actually belief, to believe there is a God, to believe what God did for us. The second is to follow or obey. And the third is to be blessed. Uh, again, the first step is belief. The second is to follow or obey. And the third is to be blessed. We're going to cover these more as we go through. Uh, let's look at this first step, to believe. And we're going to look at verse 1 of Psalm 23 uh, for this point. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All right, our first step is belief. So what does David tell us by saying that the Lord is my shepherd? First of all, it's important to know what a shepherd is. 
a lot of us here today are probably not familiar with, the, with shepherd. Uh, a lot of us don't go around herding animals in our free time. I guess a lot of us might actually do that too. So, hey, who knew? Um, but a shepherd is one who guides, one who, one who leads, one who's present uh, with his flock, with his sheep, protecting them from danger and guiding them to food and to rest. A shepherd was one who was with their animals, who cared for their animals, who was ever-present, ever-guarding, ever-guiding. You know, we see here David. David is actually placing himself underneath God. This is important, right? Who is David? David is king. David is powerful. He's the most powerful man in Israel. And yet we see his expression of humility, right? He is under the Lord. He is, or the Lord is his shepherd, right? He compares himself to a sheep. That's a bad idea, right? Um, right? And sheep are not smart. They're not wise. Um, but yet uh, David understands this. He knows this. And he, he submits under humility of his own life. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. We also see another interesting thing about this is that back in, in Near Eastern times, when referencing uh, shepherding in a, a figurative language like this is, oftentimes it meant deity. It meant kingship. And so here's a saying, David keeps saying the same thing, saying the Lord is my king. Right? The king is laying down his own authority. The king is pointing to the, the greater king, the more powerful king, the, the all-powerful king in the Lord. Right? David was a, was a great man. He did many great things. He fought many great battles. But he understands that he is nothing without the Lord. Right? I shall not want. I remember... Uh, uh, Pastor Wiggins saying a story of an anecdote, and I, it was kind of funny. I found this anecdote uh, in my own studies as well uh, about how a, a uh, man came in to preach and asked someone in the congregation to come up and quote Psalm 23. And there's this young girl, and, and he said, okay, sure, why not? And he asked her to come up, and uh, she said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. She didn't, she didn't get it quite right, but she really did get it quite right. All right, we see that the the, the Lord should be all we want. The Lord is all we want. There's nothing, there's no more desire. There's no more need that the Lord can't satisfy. Again, remember, he's not saying, I, I need the Lord. He's saying, I want the Lord. All right, if he needed the Lord, that could be fine. And he could still want other things. Yet his passion, his humility, his understanding of who God is supersedes all of his own desires, all of his own wants. He only wants the Lord. That is all he wants. All right, and so, again, we need to look at ourselves today. This, this is still pertinent, pertinent to us today, as it was for David. Who is the Lord to you? Is the Lord king in your life? Is the Lord all you want? We looked uh, last week, again, at the good shepherd. And what did the good shepherd do for us? Well, he gave up all so that we may have life, right? There is nothing more that we can ever want or desire than what Jesus has given us. That is the greatest of great things. Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep, and that is all we want, is to want him, to believe in what he did for us. Then that leads us to uh, step two, Obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. 
Uh, This is found in verses uh, two through four. It reads, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's one thing we need to understand um, before we, we dive into this understanding of that we need to believe as part of our, or we need to obey as part of our salvation. What we're not saying is that it's what you do that matters for you to be saved. That's patently false. That's untrue. I would be, I'll be blaspheming to you today if I told you that. Right? We need to believe in what Jesus has done for us. There is no other way. There is no works that we can do. There's no actions that we can uh, imagine up or do that would allow us to accept Jesus' payment. Only Jesus can pay for our sins. Only Jesus can set us free from the bondage of sin and death. But in response to what Jesus has done, that's the kicker. That's where it matters. If you've accepted Christ, you should be seeing what he's done for you and rejoicing in that. Again, Pastor Chris talked about that last week. We see what the good shepherd has done, laying down his life for his sheep. That leads us to rejoice. That leads us to have joy and to see what God has done for us and see that it is good what he has done for us. But it shouldn't stop at rejoicing. Yes, that is good, but it shouldn't stop there. We need to obey him. All right, and as we go through, uh, we start off with making me lie down in green pastures. Right uh, in, in Hebrew, uh, there's some very different, uh, different variations of the word grass or pasture. Right, this is a, a young, tender grass versus ripe or tall grass or tough grass. Right, this is good if you're a sheep. This is good food. This is a buffet. Right, not only uh, is it eating, but rather it's it's resting. Right, making me lie down. Uh, this is resting after a a full meal. Right, this is uh, being in complete satisfaction, not only eating well, but then resting well. Uh, it's always this sparked an idea um, about whenever I come home to, to mom and dad. All right, this is especially true since she, they've had uh, grandchildren, uh, is that their pantries are stocked now. And they are stocked with good things, things that Allie won't buy. Um, and then after I eat all those good things, then there's the couch. And the couch is a good thing, right? And it's comfortable. And I, you just feel at home. You feel at peace there. Right? How much more should we feel at peace with God? How much more do we, do we lie down and actually think and dwell on what God has done for us? Take the time to reminisce and think and dwell with him. To lay down in, in tender, the tender meat of his word to contemplate, to think, and to leave satisfied. Do we do that? Can we say that we lie down in green pastures with our great shepherd? He leads me beside still waters, right? Not a, not a torrent, but not stagnant water. Uh, both of those things have their purposes, uh, but not here, right? We see still water. We see peaceful water. We see that the, the great shepherd leads us to peaceful water, a time of rest, a time to relax, a time again of, of satisfaction. Uh, this always, uh, over, the, over the summer, I was able to uh, work at Camp Mishawana again. 
And uh, on events, you work in the morning, you set up all the, the high adventures, the high ropes, you set up all the different games in the morning. And then if you get your work done on time, you get some, some time to have some coffee and sit by the lake. And in the morning, it is quiet, it is still, it is peaceful. We just get to sit there and contemplate about our day, contemplate about God. Then the campers show up and it gets all crazy again. Um, but it's, it's still. Again, do we take time to see God in a still place. It is very easy uh, to come home after a long day and, and plop down on the couch and gorge the pantry and throw on something on TV. Uh, it's easy to sleep in and hit the snooze button in the morning. All right, it's, it's easy to stay up late on Saturday night before Sunday. But do we actually take the time to sit and still and prepare and to think about the things of God, to think about the things of, of Jesus. Do we, do we actually rest or do we just keep busy? Do we actually relax or just become more stressed, more worried about different things going on in the world or on our phones or on Facebook? Do we have time to see that God has led us to still waters, that the great shepherd has shown us a way that we can have peace through him? We move on. It says, again, he restores my soul. Again, the things that the, the great shepherd is doing, not only making me lie down, not only leading me besides the waters, but here restoring my soul. All right, we need to understand this is not uh, restoration um, from sin or iniquity or evil. Um, this is not forgiveness, per se, here in this exact context. Uh, this isn't uh, paying back a consequence that, that God has given us. Rather, it's um, restoring from stress, Restoring from trouble. Life is not easy, if you haven't realized that yet. Uh, life is hard. We do have stress. We do have worries. We do have doubts. We do have fears. And those things weigh down on us. There's weariness. Uh, whenever Allie and I go out, Allie has this amazing superpower to see babies and children. No matter where we are, she'll always point out the, the cutest baby, like that, that little baby girl. Or, oh, look, there's twins. Aren't they so cute? And they are cute. I can't deny that. Um, but then I have a, a look at the parents' faces. Right? And those parents are tired, and they're weary, and they're worn down. <laughs> but life happens. People do get tired. We do get tired. We are not perfect human beings. But yet we see that that God comes and restores the soul. He restores, he revitalizes, he reanimates. He brings us to, again, he leads us uh, to still waters. He lets us lie down in green pastures. See, the great shepherd is ever working in us. The great shepherd is ever leading us. Do we take the time to actually see him? Do we actually take the time to understand what he's doing, why he's doing it. Why does he restore the soul? Or, or how is maybe the better question of how he restores this soul. Well, let's look at the next, the next section. Right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right, you're saying he restores my soul by leading me to do more things? Yes, he is. Right, God has called us, Jesus has called us to live a life that is pleasing to him. He's guiding us forward into righteousness, into good things. Uh, if we look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 
We see that we are saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And amen, that's true. But oftentimes we leave off verse 10, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should follow in them. God has made us to serve him. God has made us to worship him and glorify him in all that we do and all that we say. And as we work towards pleasing and glorifying God, not pleasing and glorifying ourselves, not satisfying our own wants, our own desires, not satisfying what we want to do, our our sinful nature, if we take time and understand we need to be serving and satisfying, or not satisfying, serving and glorifying God, that's when we that's when we start to see the still waters. That's when we start to see the green pastures open up. This is where he's guiding us. We also see in Hebrews uh, 12, one through two, right, that Jesus is our founder and perfecter of our faith. So what should we do? We should lay aside every weight, cast aside every sin and care, running freely to him, right? Running the path of righteousness back to Jesus, the one who's done it already, the perfecter, the founder of our faith running towards him. The first step is faith, but the second step is to follow in righteousness. Following in righteousness, to actually serve God. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because of what he's done for us. And if we do consistently consistently follow God, if we do consistently seek to glorify him, this doesn't mean worldly success. In fact, I could probably argue that it actually means the opposite of that. It probably doesn't mean that you have uh, wealth right now. It probably doesn't mean uh, that you might, you might not have a, a solid family life if you do this. You might not have a good nest egg. You might not look the part. You might not have power or popularity or, or stance. Um, actually, following God is quite countercultural. Consistently following God, consistently following what Jesus has done um, is quite the opposite of what culture tells us. Culture tells us to serve yourself to be yourself, to be what you want to be, to be what you need to be. Where Jesus is saying, yes, you have identity, but identity is not in yourself. It's, it's in me. Right? I made you in my image. I came down, I saved you. I rescued you. And I am worthy of this. I am honored. I am owed this by you because of my sacrifice. Right, in response, we should respond to that. But in doing this, this will probably lead us to uh, dark moments. Right? It says, uh, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? that doesn't seem like a happy place. Um, death is scary. Death is not natural. We were not created to die. But yet, we don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear evil. We don't have to fear the shadow. We don't have to fear the blackness of sin and of death. Because why? Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is this? What is a rod and staff? Those don't seem like very comforting items. Um, Well, let's let's look at the rod. The rod is, is... more well-known as the, the shepherd's crook, right? And so it's the, the stick with the, the big loop at the top or a candy cane, I guess, if I didn't describe it well enough. Um, and oftentimes, this is used in the Bible as a, a point to, to bring back the sheep, right? The sheep are wandering. The sheep are, are going off, and it's used to pull them back. It's used to grab their necks and have them look back at the shepherd. It's, it's to grab their leg and to drag them back and follow the flock, Right? And, and we see it in our lives. We see that God does chasten. 
God does discipline ourselves when, when we sin. He grabs us by the neck and, and forces us to look back at him, forces us to look at our sin and gives us the chance to repent of that sin or to continue to do it. Right? Even though we are saved from the ultimate consequence of sin, there is still consequence for disobeying God. That is hurt. That is pain. Yet God is doing that to bring us back into relationship with him. But actually, this is not a rod of chastening. Right? Why? Why does he have the rod and the staff? Well, because they comfort. This is a point of, of comfort. And you'd be saying, well, how is that comforting? Well, actually, the rod wasn't just used. The, the shepherd's staff or the shepherd's crook wasn't just used to pull back sheep. Uh, actually, it was to oftentimes used to count sheep when they went back into the pen. And so what the shepherd would do is he would be at the gate herding the, the sheep in, and he would have his staff over the door, or excuse me, his rod over the door, and as the sheep would go in, he would count them. He would count the sheep as they went in. And when the sheep saw that they were going back into the pen, as they saw they were being counted, they knew that they were home. They knew they were at peace. They knew that nothing would get to them anymore. Yeah, we see that, that for us as well, that when we go through the, the valley, when we, when we are in the darkness, that there is a light, and that light shines in the darkest of moments, and that is the, the rod. If we know Jesus, we are his. He has counted us. We are part of his flock. It says in, in John uh, 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus knows where you're at, right? And we see that, when we see that staff, we look and we see that I am a part of his flock. He has not forgotten me. He has not abandoned me. He has not despised me. He has not condemned me. Rather, he has accepted me and brought me into the fold. Just as the sheep looked up and saw the staff as they were entering, they felt peace. So should we in the darkest of times look and see Jesus and see that we are one of his flock. We are counted with him. He knows us. Just, just imagine that, right? Jesus knows you. That's, that's ludicrous. That's insane. Yet it's true. God knows us. And we are, we are able to know him. So the rod is a, a symbol of comfort. And so is the staff. Uh, what, what is a staff? Well, it was used by the shepherd to help in, in walking. It was just a walking stick. Right? And, and you're going to ask, well, does the Lord need a walking stick? And I'd probably say no. Uh, God doesn't need a walking stick, but we sure do. We need help. Um, uh, we do stumble. We do fail. Yet that, that staff is used to protect us. It's actually used to pick us up. It's used as a crutch. It's used to, to help us to follow. It's there for us to take part in. It's there for us to use. God also uses it as a protection for us, protecting us against the devil, against uh, attacks. The staff is a symbol of protection for the Christian. Just as the rod is a, a symbol of being counted, of being a part of the flock, being known by Jesus, the staff is used for our protection and for our help. The great shepherd does not leave us alone in our darkest moments. In fact, he's there waiting, ready to help us to help us through. Step three, blessing, blessing. Seems weird, but uh, as we go through, you'll hopefully uh, it makes more sense. You prepare a table before me 
This is verse five and six. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we get a bit of a scene change, right? The, uh, uh, it's a different act, right? We're no longer a uh, shepherd and, a, uh, and sheep. We're now in a uh, host and a guest role. But yet the same dynamic remains, right? A person of authority, a person in charge versus one who is brought in, who is under that other person. Right, and, and, and what do we see here? Well, we see, again, a lot of the same themes. You prepare a table. You prepare a feast for me. Right, the great shepherd, the, the host, God is preparing a table, a table of blessing, of food, in the presence of my enemies. So again, in this time of despair, in this time of doubt, in this time of, of worry, yet you are still there blessing me, providing me, providing for me, even when my enemies surround me, even when darkness comes, yet you are still there with me. You then anoint my head with oil. This was another symbol of blessing, of honor. And we see our host honoring our guests. We see God honoring David. We see God honoring us by anointing us, by blessing us. So much so that the, the cup overflows. So much blessing that comes our way. And again, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God, you are good to us, even though we do not deserve it. Why do you do this for us? Because of your love and mercy. Because you are good. You care for us. You want us to follow you. You want to lead us to blessing. And not only shall goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, but I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the end, the chief shepherd will take over. The chief shepherd will be there. We will be dwelling in his house forever, the king above all. But we'll save that a little bit more in detail for next week. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, we see that God is a, or that Jesus is a great shepherd. We see that Jesus uh, leads us to green pastures. We see that Jesus leads us besides still waters. He lets us into a place of abundance, a place of comfort, a place of uh, helpfulness, a place of, of peace. And that when we do fall, when we do falter, when we do stall out, yet he restores us. He calls us back to him. He restores our soul by how? By leading us, by guiding us in a path of righteousness by moving us forward. And while moving us forward, that might lead to darkness. That might lead to dark moments. Yet he has not left us in those dark moments. He's provided us with the rod and the staff, that we are part of his flock and that he is here to help us, that he is here to hold us up. And after that, he is, after we see all of this, how can we not see blessing? How can we not see that God has prepared for us a table, a feast, how can we not see that God has, has blessed us with, by anointing us, by giving us so many blessings that, that the only thing that we can reply with is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Look at all the things that he has done for me. How can, how can I not be, how can I not feel goodness? How can I not feel mercy, mercy from him? And then the ultimate blessing that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Christian, you have uh, many reasons to rejoice today. Uh, always rejoice. Always see that you, ha- you have the ability to rejoice because what, of, because what Jesus has done for you. But let us not stay there. Right? In Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the people um, that uh, right now they're actually struggling. Uh, this is, if you know anything about Hebrews 6, it's the apostasy chapter. Um, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, place of Scripture. All right, and we're just coming from the end of Hebrews 5, where the Hebrew people are, are struggling with um, understanding mature and right doctrine. In fact, the writer says that you guys, you guys aren't ready for the spiritual stake that you need. Actually, you need to go back to spiritual milk. You aren't ready. And then it says here in Hebrews, being Hebrews 6, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All right, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation. It seems uh, pretty strange that he'd be writing this, right? It seems uh, at first glance, you're telling me that we should leave the doctrines of Christ, that we should just let that fly away? Well, no. My wife is an elementary school teacher, and she teaches math facts, right? And sometimes I like to look at her, uh, her, what her kids do and some of the fun answers that they put down. Um, but these are math facts. These are things that are true. This is how you actually add. This is actually how you subtract. This is how you multiply. This is how you divide. And we all went through school. We all learned these things, right? Then we went on to junior high and, and maybe high school or maybe college. And if you ever took a, a science class or a, a math class or a business class, what do you still need to use? Math facts. You still need to know how to add. You still need to know how to divide. Even doing your, your budget or balancing your checkbook, you need to know how to do these things. These things do not leave. And so what he's saying here is we do not leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Rather, we are building upon it. Uh, Robert Ketchum has a great quote. I'm going to read it for you. I couldn't um, say this any better. We see this principle of progression without forsaking all around us. The house and its building leaves the foundation without forsaking it. The book and its writing leaves the alphabet without forsaking it. The anthem leaves the scale without forsaking it. The foundation remains an essential part of the house, but the superstructure is essential also. The alphabet remains a part of the book, but it must be arranged into orderly literature. The scale remains a part of the anthem, but who would want an anthem of all scales and no oratorio? Right? It's important that we have a solid foundation. It's important that we see the cross. It's important that we see the good shepherd. It's important that we see what he has done, that he has done good things for us, and we should rejoice in those, and we should have joy in those. But the fact is, is while we do rejoice in the cross, we don't stay at the cross. You see, Jesus is not at the cross anymore. In fact, Jesus is not in the empty tomb anymore. He is risen again with the Father. He is guiding us. He is leading us. We, we mentioned Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. As we run towards him, we don't stay at the foot of the cross. We look for our cross, and then we scoot towards Jesus. We run towards Jesus. We, and we walk towards Jesus. But Jesus is expecting 
progression. Jesus is, is expecting a walk towards him. Jesus is expecting us to bear fruit. All right, if there is no change in our action, if there's no change in our fruit from what Jesus has done, then there's, there's, there's worry. There's a worry that there was no change in the first place. While we understand that works are not what saves us, but rather works are in response to how Jesus saved us. The cross is important. The death of Jesus is of utmost importance. But we need to teach the gospel to ourselves new and daily, that we can walk forward, that we can walk towards Christ. It is not something that's to be left uh, at the beginning. It's not something that's to be left at when you accepted Christ when you were young. It's not something to be left when you first accepted Christ. It's not something to be left behind. But rather, it's integral. It's the foundation. It's the base of what we do. It's why we do what we do. It's why we come to church. It's why we have community. It's why we have fellowship with people that we have no business fellowshipping with. It's why we serve God. It's why we sacrifice ourselves and our own desires because of what Jesus has done for us. That is why we do what we do. We have a chance to serve the great shepherd. And it is sweet to follow Jesus. So I ask you, don't stay at the foot. Don't stay at the foundation. Rather, build your life on the foundation. Build your life towards Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this, this text. We thank you for this familiar text, Lord, but we thank you that um, while there's one interpretation, there's many applications, Lord. And as we see you, as we see the good shepherd, now we see the great shepherd, Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. We're so thankful that you've died on the cross for our sins. Something that we can never do. Something that we had no hope in. And that through your resurrection, you proved that you paid for our sin. God, you are good to us. Jesus, you are good to us. But I pray that you don't let us stop there. You show us to the, the green pastures. You show us to the still waters. You lead us on the path of righteousness. Even when it gets hard, even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I pray that you can make yourself known to us, that you can show your rod, and that you can show your staff, that you can be with us. Help us to guide us and to lead us. Lord, help us not to forget that the reason we do this is to serve you. It is to give you glory, not ourselves. Help us, Lord, as we do this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.